this is the real good podcast. How's that for a John Robach impersonation? I don't know. <laughs> I think you could do better. This is the real good podcast. There you go. There you go. So uh, I'm Derek Armstrong, and with me are more people than we have microphones for, but uh, we're going to work it out. That is John Roebuck, um, and I'm going to announce in order of seniority on the podcast, even though uh, this particular person is going to be more of a peanut gallery tonight, but Blake Curtis. So I'm the, I'm the most senior. Well, I, we well of course you are. You started the juice. damn website. <gasps> he already said John Roebuck. I said you first. I, so, yeah, I'm just confirming I am the most senior. Well, you created the website, so I would say that counts for something. I feel like you really wanted to make a point of that, too, that you were the most senior. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> also with me... The listeners need to know. John Morrissey, current critic for the site, and Sasha Kenny, a former critic for the site, who is chiming in tonight as well. Yeah, why, why, why are we letting a former critic in, like, you know... I feel like we're letting the next girlfriend. Once a critic, always a critic. I feel like you needed to class it up. Uh, <laughs> and I'm happy to do it. Mr. Kenny, you got to talk into the microphone. Yeah, it is worth, so uh, worth mentioning that these microphones are directional microphones. Directional, okay. Great. So we have not done a podcast in a full year, and guess what that coincides with? We've had an interesting year this year, haven't we? <laughs> um, so we don't actually know the future of the podcast per se, but tonight we're just having our annual Real Good Christmas Party. And so that's what we're doing tonight. And we're just going to kind of keep it loose and just chat a little bit. And uh, and may I say, Derek, you've really done wonders with the recording studio. It looks, um, yeah, yeah, ready to... Do you like all the cardboard it? boxes and the various beanbag chairs strewn about the room? I do. You do? Good. All right. Derek, could you uh, tell us what's in that that box that's got, that, that is labeled pirate chest? <laughs> oh, I believe it's pirate treasure. <laughs> I couldn't say for sure, though. It could be false advertising. Some, some kind of loot. That and that's all we've got time for. <laughs> but yet again, I will remind you, you must talk directly into the microphone. <laughs> about as close as I am, or else we aren't going to hear you. <laughs> um... John Morrissey, do you have anything to say? Um, yeah, uh, no, pleasure to be here. First time on the podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah welcome. to the conversation, yeah. Yeah, I have a question to start everybody off here. Kind of like, all right, so we had the pandemic year, crazy year. Um, what did you find changed about your film viewing habits this year? Like, did you concentrate on anything? Did you have a project? Did you just, did you watch more? Did you watch about the same? Did you just read 50 books? What did you, what did you do? John, you want to go first? John Roebuck? Yeah, sure. So I uh, tried to use it uh, uh, the time to watch uh, a lot of older movies. I feel like um, you're very, very good at keeping up with new stuff, which I'm less good at. Mm. Um, and I think I'm, um, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say better, but I think I'm more focused um, um, uh, on older stuff in general than newer stuff. And I feel like I've been doing a lot more of that this year. Yeah. Um, I've, I haven't seen a single new film that I thought was particularly good. The best new film that I saw this year was probably, and this is off the top of my head, uh, Palm Springs, which I thought was okay. Um, Palm Springs, yeah, yeah. Just like because I haven't seen that. Is that just a Russian? Have you watched Russian? Yeah. Girl? Well, it, so it's it's a testament to the strength of the Groundhog Day formula mm. that it's been done with Groundhog Day. Um, Russian Doll, Edge of Tomorrow, and now uh, Palm Springs, and they're all pretty good. And they all offer something. Oh, and like ten others yeah, too. Uh, yeah, like Happy Death Day. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, but they all offer, offer something new. I mean, obviously, I actually think Groundhog Day is a masterpiece. Yeah. But but you like, really yeah, I do, I do. Uh, um, but all all of those films uh, I just mentioned and shows are Russian dollars a show. I think have brought something new to the table. But I guess so. Uh, to answer your question, I've been watching a lot of older films. 
And I was a bit alarmed at how few films on, I think it's the BFI Top 100 um, list that I'd seen. And I also, having seen a lot more since, uh, I think that list is a bit of a wank. Um, mm. and they're, um, over wank? I haven't heard that term before. No, no, a bit of a wank. Like, like oh. yeah, yeah. I think you said over wank, like overrated or something. No, 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 no. <laughs> over wank was my teenage years. <laughs> It can be exactly done. Like, like it can be done, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm glad you've never experienced it. Uh, and I, I, I was about to say I'd love to teach you, but that would be quite odd. Um, but but, but so, so I was watching a lot of those films, um, and, and I think, like, um, I, I, I have issue with the, the, the list in the sense that I feel like it, it, it um, focused on a, a certain type of film. I mean, like... There are remarkable silent films, but in the top 11, there were four silent films. And considering, like, yeah, you know, films, films have progressed 100 years since the silent era, I, uh, like, I, I think um, uh, um, there's an agenda behind that list, which I don't entirely agree with. Like, the three Bresson movies, and, like, there is no way that, like, three Bresson movies, which are really, really similar, make it into the top 100 for me. Uh, um as amazing as those films are, all the Bresson movies I watched, I really, really loved. Are you saying that correctly? Uh, Bresson. All right, Mr. Culture. <laughs> what was the name? You, you corrected me on another name recently, which you're right. Is that, a, is that the kind of guy I am, just correcting people? No, 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 no. That wasn't, a di- that wasn't a dig. It was well corrected. But anyway, so I've been watching, uh, watching a lot of older films. Um, what I would like to actually say is um, um, highlight a film I re-watched recently. The first time I watched it, I um, just mustn't have been in the mood. Uh, it was quite a few years ago. And when I rewatched it recently, it blew me away. It was one of the best movies I've ever seen. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and it was Revenge of the Nerds. Hara got fingered. Hara fucking Kiri absolutely blew me away. Like, like, oh, did you rewatch jo- and watch it on my recommendation? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Because I remember, I remember, I was watching a lot of Mitsugoshi movies and a, a few Ozu movies, and then I remember you saying, um, "Check out Hara Kiri," and I remember thinking, like, oh, that bored the shit out of me when I saw it, um, which wasn't like ages ago. Like, I was definitely like, you know. Um, delving pretty deep by then um but it, it absolutely flo- it, it's a perfect film in my in my opinion um it, it's it's probably the best japanese movie i've ever seen it's it seems um uh, um beyond its years technically uh, at least uh, there are, there are ca- there's camera work in that film that like i feel like um i mean it's a contemporary of like a lot of those old kurosawa and ozu and uh, mitsugoshi movies May- maybe slightly later than o- like some of the ozu ones it's a historical film right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's about um, um samurai film it's, it's yeah. a samurai yeah, film yeah. essentially um and um it felt like a contemporary film that was just in black and white mm. um so yeah to answer your question i've been watching a lot of older films <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Yeah, John Morrissey. What um, about you? Yeah, I kind of struggled to concentrate for most of this year, so I didn't actually watch that many movies. But um, I think I think the film which I kind of got the most out of this year was um, Burning, which is from 2018. Yep. Um, and I don't know. I think maybe possibly it was just a combination of my mind state um, and the kind of external situation. But I don't know. The film just seemed to have a lot of depth to it. Um, and it's dreamy and it's nightmarish really, and weird. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just so well put together, and also like I like the fact that. Um, so apparently it's based on, um, it's like a, a mashup between a um, Haruki Murakami um, story called Burning, or Barn Burning, and a okay. Fa- William Faulkner story also called Barn Burning. And he kind of took these two stories, which I haven't read, but which, you know, presumably don't have too much in common apart from the title. And he kind of, obviously, saw some kind of elements between them. And they kind of brought them together into this 
film. So yeah. we should say it's a Korean film. Yeah. Yeah, Korean movie. Yeah. 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 Um, and I really, I don't know. It was just a very kind of because the guy's a writer as well, apparently, and it was a very kind of literary movie, like. In it and that sort of features in the plot oh, in a way like it kind of comes so, in. so cool yeah. but, then, but then it's sort of one of the characters like um, likens the other character to Gatsby from the great Gatsby um, oh yeah but then he's kind of misreading the situation because the guy's not really like Gatsby he's like Gatsby it's it's a very it's very interesting the way it's used I couldn't really explain it without going to the actual full it's, plot of the movie it's but it's twisted very, psychologically too absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely and just this it was just amazing to see a film that just committed to ambiguity. Like it was nothing was resolved. There was no answers given to anything, and it just ends on total ambiguity. And you never, you never find out what the movie's about. You never really find out what happened. But it's still so brilliant. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I think I struggle with that just a little bit. I also struggled because I started at nine thirty. Uh, you know, at night on a, a day I'd been working all day. You know, and it's yeah. it really requires your focus. It's very slow paced. Absolutely, but yeah. in a good way if you're awake yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah well, can yeah. i say i saw it and i liked it without loving it but then having after you saw it and then i talked to you about it it um really made me want to re-watch it and um i feel like you shed new light on it that i yeah yeah i, yeah. I re-watched it recently with my brother and yeah i mean it, on a second watch as well it's like i feel like you just get more out of it every yeah. time you see it yeah excellent yeah sasha what about you uh yeah well i'm I guess the first thing I'd say is uh, you mentioned Edge of Tomorrow, um, <laughs> yeah. which is one of my favorite. Good start. Yeah, and, that's and it, so fun. <laughs> well, it did remind me. Um, I, I think John and I cooked up an idea. It was it was an, a, kind of a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, um, and it was sort of about someone trying to watch Edge of Tomorrow, but they kept they kept restarting um, the movie, um, so they couldn't get through it. <laughs> and, the, and the title of that movie was going to be Edge of Edge of Tomorrow. Well, um, and, and they, they won't even let that title stand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't mind the title, but they, they kept on trying to rebrand it as That's Live, right, yeah. Die, Repeat. And yeah, then yeah. there was one other title in there somewhere. Well, actually, the graphic novel has a different name, too, but I can't remember what that I is. I can't believe you're sharing that yeah. plot What's it called? out into the world, Sash. That's a yeah. million-dollar idea. Yeah, well, if anyone's listening out there and they want to, um, I think we could probably get it made for about a hundred thousand dollars. Possibly in this shed. Tom Cruise might have something to say about that if yeah, you sure heard him this yeah. week. Did you guys listen to that audio of Tom Cruise ripping his crew over uh, the COVID protocols? I, I haven't listened to it. I, I've, I've read the, the transcript though, and and look, to be honest, it seemed like he was sort of being kind of reasonable. Well, that's the thing. This is not a Christian Bale situation. No, this yeah. is like. Totally he, he justified. Was, they shouldn't be filming at all, really. He, like, his, like... his position was basically right that it, the, the the crew were were fraternising and hugging and stuff after shots, and he was basically saying, you know, this is going to kill this production if you keep doing. And this. he's also saying, well, no one will hug me, so this is not fair. Yeah, well, that's that's probably um, another factor. Uh, look, <laughs> for me, um, I, uh, I I quickly realized that Netflix and Stan and yep. those sorts of streaming services weren't going to offer me good viewing material for the lockdown. So I decided somewhat masochistically to watch all of the films of Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Um, in, cr- in chronological <laughs> I heard order. That. And not just the films he directed, but also the films he, he, he shot, he, he wrote. He wrote a bunch of movies as well. Um, so did you watch Dementia 13 also? Yeah, that's his first movie. It's yeah, a psycho it's, ripoff, yeah, yeah, it's, but it's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. Just quickly. It's, it's almost incoherent. It, it was, he, he wrote Patton, didn't he? He did write Patton, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and he was sort of this like hired gun, I think, at that time and, and, and was sort of you know, basically involved with a lot of great movies that came out around that, yeah. around that time. Um, so I watched all of them, including the ones that he executive produced. So, you know, you, you ended up seeing, I, I think it was about 150. 
40 films or something. Wow. Like Whoa. He's a, been a busy a man. But he, and he's also frequently worked in order to uh, budget, uh, not budget, to in order to uh, bankroll some future project he wanted to work on he, or to pay off the debts of previous one. Yeah. Well, he also was like the, he was like the leader of that kind of the whole movement. Like when I read Easy Riders Raging Bulls, they talk a lot about how they, like the Hollywood execs trusted him to like so he bought George Lucas in he bought all these big names in he, he was the guy after um, George Lucas made THX 1138 um, uh, he said to George Lucas I, I bet you couldn't make a um, like a, just a fun movie um, uh, which is why American oh. Graffiti was made mm. yeah, oh, I thought right. you were going to say which is why Star Wars made. <laughs> yeah well I, I did watch THX 1138 and I was amazed what a at how, pleaser I was amazed at how um, it, dark and discordant it is as a film people would say it, you know it was the precursor to star wars well it was very very different to star wars mm. it seems like it was also influenced by 1984 i would Big say time, mm. yeah yeah um but anyway that was great the, the problem with doing coppola like that is that his films really do fall apart after about 1980 and you know i, I don't think he had um okay a, a really good movie after that can you, I put you've in done this just quickly, you've done this with other filmmakers as well in the past haven't you Sash? I, I have yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, Frank Darabont was was the one I did before oh, yeah. Uh, Coppola. Yeah. Um, again, a lot of shit movies in there. But then he finished with The Mist, which I think is a really great. That ending movie. is so, so good. He's not, yeah. He hasn't directed a film since then. I think Darabont got into a bit of strife because he um, something to do with The Walking Dead. And yeah, uh, there was a big yeah, fallout there. Happened. I'm, yeah, I'm not so sure I remember the that. There, he was yeah. a showrunner originally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then he was furious in the direction they took it. So then he yeah. pulled the pin. Yeah. Hey, before we leave the subject of Coppola. I have to put in a plug for uh, Dracula. Dracula. I love Dracula. See, I, I, I rewatched Dracula, and I've got to say, uh, you know, not so much. A bit overwrought, kind of. I'm with you. Oh, Sash. it's totally overwrought. There's the same, no doubt. It came out the same time as um, Frankenstein, which which uh, Coppola also produced. Yes. Um, and that was directed by Kenneth Branagh, and uh, that is a really terrible film as well. Oh, that, what a bad what a bad Kira? choice of of cast to have Robert De Niro play the monster, a consummately verbal actor yeah. in a non-verbal role. <laughs> yeah, well said, and and just. So loud. It was, it's, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's just this sort of hysterical kind of stage production sort of shot. Oh well, there's yeah. all these shots of his of him shirtless, glistening like it's super vanity oriented yeah. for Branagh himself. Yeah, I love Branagh though. He's yeah. he's great. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. I recommend seeing Othello. Branagh's Othello. Oh yeah, that's good. Does he play Iago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just had a vision of him in blackface. <laughs> no, we wouldn't want that. He was not in blackface. I just like to. The lascivious more. <laughs> I'm sure we could carry on in this regard for quite some time, but we have some business to get to. We, as part of our tradition Sorry, in... Good uh, podcast management, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it loose, but also keep it structured. You know? um, the tradition for these year-end shows is that we've done a top five list of our oh, favorite oh. film... What? what? We missed oh. Blakey. Well, see, Blakey told, at the start said he was just going to be observ an observer, so he's, he's switching it up on the fly here. Yeah, well, yeah. I I went the opposite way of you guys in that I didn't watch many films, so I went more down the route of watching a lot of TV. Now, now, okay. now hang on. Just, I just want to chime in, because I was having dinner with you uh, about a year ago, and you said you're, you were going to watch a film a night. I was doing that. <laughs> for the next year. And that was pre-COVID. I was doing that pre-COVID, and then just kind of was like, fell off it. Uh, well, I, I stayed with it until about March, so I did see a fair bit at that point. Um, but then, yeah, when COVID hit, I just, yeah, just started watching a lot of TV shows. And so it just hit. I feel like there was a, it being like the golden era of TV, there was lots of stuff that I'd never watched before. Okay. So I kind of wanted to just like, 
up my knowledge in that kind of department. And well, the theory was that like they only go for 40 minutes or 20 minutes, so you can watch that and go to bed. It's still a reasonable hour. Um, so, yeah. So, sorry, well, boys. I think there's also a reasonable argument for the idea that... Apology accepted. <laughs> that TV is kind of eclipsing film as the most conversed about visual art form, wouldn't you say? Like, a lot, people are a lot, get a lot more into The Mandalorian or Game of Thrones than they do into whatever particular film. Um, so... I think that's and and also TV shows are becoming more cinematic. So well, that was my big thing. Is like I was really interested. In, like I guess I was really interested in the concept of like with a lot of TV shows that I was watching, stuff like um, uh, Unorthodox as an example, where it's just like that's a four part TV series, um, but that's like a new format. So it's like it's it feels like a new format's been created where it's like it's not a film. It's a bit longer, but it's also not a TV show. That's kind of like it's traditional ongoing season forever it's like just standalone stuff so i was watching lots of stuff like that which i really quite enjoyed well i, I and i think television and, and film are as, as similar as they are inherently different mediums but i think um um i i and i don't i don't watch much tv but um what you're talking about in terms of like um this sort of in-between thing where like the same director will direct all the episodes like 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 a, the a, a true detective the first season or um or normal people which was directed by uh derek you'll know this the guy who directed frank um, and he, um, um, oh. off the top of my head, I can't produce the name. That's a first. No. Um, um, uh, Lenny, Lenny Abrahams. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so this idea that there is like, you know, tr- traditionally with TV, there, there's, you know, different writers on each episode and, and a different director, but these sort of like, uh, mini series is where there's a finite end. So, um, they're not like, um making it up as they go along and they don't have to like worry about setting up a, a second season yep. there's a start and a finish to the narrative and it's the same director and same writer um uh, the entire way through that's sort of the tv i'm interested in i'll yeah. stop talking for a bit sorry no that's that's it you hit the nail on the head that's a lot of the stuff that i was really interested in and i was curious about that as a concept i don't know why it interests me but i was just like i don't know i guess wanting to make films you know i was interested in like well maybe it's not films as like a standalone two-hour thing but maybe i'm kind of interested in doing stuff like that well the cl- also the clear advantage of tv over film except for the very best films is that you can get into character development a lot more in tv just one last thing on this and i promise this is the last i'll talk uh, at the microphone uh, quickly for a bit um is i i think um with television it's a lot more they don't have the time to create this these moments that are made out of how their film is assembled as much as film does you know what i mean yeah. you, you look at a film like goodfellas and so much of the 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 joy in that film is how the film is put together and less the content and i feel like television a lot more is a lot more content driven right. and i think in television there's a lot less um excitement to be had out of and, and that's not uh, all television uh, um, and um, there are amazing uh, um, examples of it in television but because um, the the, um, the um, scheduling and the time frame they have to create these this stuff mm-hmm. is a lot quicker they don't have time as much time to think about um, uh, how they're put essentially I guess creating a moment for a moment's sake and I think a, a lot of television historically has been uh, much more content driven than cinema well, and so you won't have these just like amazing like um, um, uh, montages like the Derek and the Dominoes um, sequence in Goodfellas I'm sorry I'm using, using Goodfellas as an example um, but um, uh, I mean that that's probably changing well, I think you're right. It's I feel like it's something that's just opened up a lot with streaming platforms and binging. Like the 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 fact that this content's 
as opposed to just watching something once a week that comes out, it's it it just seems like there's a new uh, there's a new platform that's kind of opened up, and it's really interesting and exciting to watch. I, I do worry a bit about the engagement of the viewer in television as as opposed to the cinema. So. One you know, will cannibalize the other, essentially. Yeah. Well, no, I, well, yes, but also I, I feel like people watch shows now, and they, and their objective is almost, you know, to get through the show. Yep. Have you binge watching? Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know they'll watch four or five episodes in one sitting. I I feel like that's a pretty good way to forget which episode was good. And something about the cinema, which is that you go to the film, talk about the film afterwards. It's an experience mm. that's being lost. You know, it's one thing to say that TV is cinematic, but yeah. the format of TV is is always going to be less. Well, it's all, it's almost the idea that as well that you don't surrender. Like when you go to watch a movie, you surrender yourself. You sit in a dark room and you're watching what is on the screen. Whereas, like with TV, like it's more of a medium where it's like you know people can be making dinner, and people can be doing other yeah, things. You can listen it's, to it and not necessarily exactly, watch it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, this this is I promise the last uh, list, uh, <laughs> and mini then we'll rant. Move on. But yeah. the, like with the advent of our Netflix. Back when you went, used to go and rent out a video from a shop, you'd go to the shop, you'd make the decision, you'd take it home, and even if it wasn't the most amazing movie in the world, you'd probably stick with it because that was the decision you made. Whereas, um, I mean, I don't use Netflix or Stan that often, but I, I fi- found when I do use the, like, platforms like that, if I'm not absolutely loving it within 20 minutes, I'll maybe try something yeah. else because the next movie is just a click away and yeah. there isn't that commitment to the, yeah. to the, to the thing you've chosen. I think that's, yeah, I think that's kind of common of like streaming services, you know, I feel like you feel something similar with music, you know, it's like, it's more, this is kind of passive absorption, but also there's like a total kind of uh, lacking in attention span or whatever. So it's like, if an album doesn't immediately satisfy you in the first two as, songs or whatever, as, it's much yeah. harder to get through the whole thing. And it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's yeah, pretty bad. For as them. much as we yeah. could continue this, I have to keep my eye on the clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what I wanted to have the core be of the rest of our show our show is it called the show yeah. uh, our cast uh every year we do a top five list um and this year a lot of people didn't see a lot of movies a lot of people in this room didn't see a lot of movies and some saw really old movies um which was probably the right thing to do so i invited everyone to do whatever top five list they wanted i'm going to do my top five films of the year but i have no idea what the others are going to do so uh, let's just launch right into it so what we do here is we go around we each do our number five each do our number four etc cetera, etc cetera. we'll try to move a little bit quickly on it so as not to bore the audience and have them listen to a four-hour podcast but i also uh, want everyone to comment on these things especially if they've seen them and have thoughts so uh yeah should we get started uh, i'll go first why not um, just to get us rolling here. So, as I said, my top five films of 2020, I've currently seen 128 films that came out in 2020. So I had a lot to choose from, but the top five is the one I'm going to talk about today. And the hey, first... Derek, how many of those were adult movies? Um, <laughs> 37 and a half. <laughs> um, so I'll start out with my number five film of this year, and I have... Uh, John Morrissey to thank for it. It is Feels Good Man, <laughs> which um, such a good movie. <laughs> yeah, so this is a documentary about uh, Pepe the Frog, who's become an alt right symbol. This cute little cartoon frog. Uh, he was cute before he became uh, the symbol. Um, he was originally um, a character in a series of comic books or graphic novels or what have you, where he was basically a stoner uh, who hung around in his share house with his mates and did drugs and um it's uh 
he's become something quite different due to alt-right websites like 4chan. I don't know if 4chan is exclusively alt-right, but he's become totally bastardized. And this film is about his the original creator, the artist's attempt to bring him back and try to destigmatize him. And it's just a total compendium of memes and how the internet works and uh, how these things get grown out of proportion from where they started and it was just really fascinating um and uh i know that john might have some thoughts about it as well um but uh does anyone else see it other than than myself and john i didn't no yeah. i didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just felt like it was it came at such a you know fitting time as well because it was sort of at the point where it seemed pretty obvious that trump was going to lose the election you know barring some massive upset and it was just like, I don't know, just kind of, it was a very strange feeling just revisiting that feeling in 2016 when there were oh. these, there was this kind of alt-right movement, which obviously still exists in, you know, probably various altered forms or whatever, but just like the total depravity of this kind of, and just like the total nihilism of this movement. And I don't know, I think it really captured just how like, just abnormal, like the internet can make people and how, you know, the things it produces can be totally abnormal. Like it's, I thought it was, I thought it was a really excellent documentary. It like, was. And I thank you for yeah. uh, bringing it on my radar and I'm going to go straight to you for your number five. Um, so I'm going to do my top five horror films of the year, which I saw from 2020. Um, so the first one was, uh, the dark and the wicked, which, um, the director's Brian Bertino, I believe. I haven't seen it. Brian Boitano. Don't they sing a song about him in <laughs> South Park? Uh, Bertino. <laughs> <laughs> he directed the strangers, right? Oh really? Did he? Oh yeah, great! So, yeah. Oh fantastic! Yeah, that's a great film too. Yeah. Um, this this is good though. It was like um, it's about a um, woman and her brother. They go back to um, the kind of country that the, you know the rural property where they grew up um, because their father's dying, um, but their mother didn't want them to come for whatever reason. And when they get to the house, they realize there's some kind of presence in the house. Um, it's good. It's sort of like a demonic, you know, demonic haunting kind of film, but. It's a really genuinely upsetting movie. Like, it really goes in directions you don't expect, and, like, it doesn't hold back at any point. Like, it's a really bleak movie. Like, oh, terrific. Wh- yeah. Where did you see it? What platform? Um, I actually can't remember now, but, yeah. I think that, I, was I, it, Were you sailing the seas of piracy? No. <laughs> it's entirely, entirely possible. <laughs> cool. I, I'll put that on my list. I'll move on to uh, Sasha now. Uh, thanks, Derek. Um, look, should come as no surprise. I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the top five couple of movies ah terrific and i won't and i'll i'll limit it to the ones he directed um just because i think that makes it easier um and more coherent but at number five um i sort of put this in there because i do love it um and it's probably not his top within his top five but it's it's a film called one from the heart um oh i think i remember that uh, it came out in i think 1981 um you would have been about 45 by then wouldn't you uh, just under that, yeah. No, we I, needed a Derek Old joke, at least uh, one one in this podcast. Well, I've got my grey beard going here, so <laughs> along with my Santa hat. So, <laughs> so um, it's an interesting mess of a film. Okay, um, those are the best kind. He he had made his own studio for American, and maybe you can help with the pronunciation. Zotrope, is it? Yeah. yeah okay, great. Um, and it's sort of it's a musical. Tom Waits does, writes all the music for okay. it. Um, it's a musical, but they don't sing. He, 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 Tom Waits just sings over scenes of them sort of dancing the cast. Um, it's got Roel Julia and Natasha Kinski's in it. Um, okay. Very young. She, I mean, she, yeah, I mean, she's sort of staggeringly We've got a Kinski fan film. over here. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's a mess. It was a commercial failure. Flopped. Coppola was basically not trusted with a budget after that. And that's why he had to start making studio films after that. But it's a, it's a great watch. And I think you could say that 
there wouldn't be La La Land without one. Okay. Well, if you had to start making studio films after that, we could also say that there wouldn't be Jack. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That's true, yeah. That's true. Cool. I didn't see it, but I will put that on my list. And I'm also glad that you're not just choosing the five most obvious choices. That would be boring. (laughs) All right. Hey, well, that 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 really sinks your next four, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I got to rewrite the whole list. You, you got the obscure one in, so you can go mainstream after that. Uh, John Roebuck, are you ready to give your number five? Oh, Blake said he didn't have a list. Is Blake gonna have? Okay. Well, like, uh, yeah, I've, 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 yeah, I could definitely do. Yeah, obviously, TV shows was the main one that yeah, I'm watching, but it. I reckon I'm gonna just go with films because i just you know dusted off the list that i've still watched and it's still pretty solid five and the big thing of this is you've seen five films yeah <laughs> i have seen films like you watched. i have seen more than five and you know your home videos are not included on that one either uh, <laughs> in mine. um so i always i always used to say this to you guys as well like i was always curious when because when we usually do the end of year stuff, then it's like the start of Oscar season. So like, there's usually films in that era that kind of get lost in the you know the Bermuda Triangle of our podcast yes. because they don't really count. So I'm gonna kind of you know I feel like these ones count, but feel free. Number your five, rules are your rules, man. <laughs> uh, number five top uh, was Uncut Gems. Okay. Um, yeah, that was yeah, that was this year. Yeah, that was that this year. Was awesome. That, it was yeah. that year. That that film really blew me away. Like yeah. that was just so fu- so many people I spoke to was like that film was fucking stressful. I don't know, ble- I don't know how Very you enjoyed stressful. watching it. And I was like, yeah, I understand that, but like that was the intent of the film, and like that existence is just blew me away. Yeah, one thing I like, I was like, I liked that film so much more than I was expecting to, and like, I know one thing that I weirdly loved about it a lot was the there's that really brief performance from The weekend, and he's like playing a song from his first mixtape and you realise oh this film's like set in like I think I forget when it came out like 2009 2010 yeah. you're like yeah. oh it's absolutely set then like yeah. 2010 the vibe of the film yeah. it's so cool and like, big props to him yeah. for doing that because he's an absolute dirtbag yeah, in that yeah, film and I'm like yeah. shit yeah for like you yeah. know just doing that and yeah. well, who was the bathroom was it Kevin Durant in it uh, Kevin Garnett yeah. I think. no Kevin, Kevin Garnett yeah. uh, he's like surprisingly he's good in it yeah and it's such a cool setup. it's like this kind of basketball and he's like this kind of almost like kind of godlike figure who just drifts in and like affects this guy's life without even really being aware of the effect he's having and like yeah. it's it's so cool it's, it's such a cool and film, he's so yeah. tall that they had to get him to lean down whenever he had to be in a shot without him <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and i gotta tell you also the celtics are my team because i'm from boston originally and i brought back the memories of that playoff ser- uh, series against the sixers i think it was it was 2011 now i think i'm mm. saying uh, or 2012 i don't know anyway um it's uh, yeah i liked it too yeah, it was awesome. And even just like, yeah, the Adam Sandler getting snubbed for an Oscar on that was awesome. And then when he won the independent oh, yeah. award, his like, acceptance speech is awesome. Like, go oh, watch that acceptance yeah, speech on YouTube. It's a pisser. Terrific. Mr. Roebuck. Okay, so I when you said we could do top fives of anything, <laughs> I, I might be a little bit off, off brand here. No, do it. Um, I, I decided to do top five um, in honor of you guys, um, Derek's, John's, Sasha's, and Blake's. Um, and then because I, because I wanted to be... No, no, John from John Morrissey. Uh, uh, but then because I wanted to be even, I had two for each. So I've got eight. So okay. I was thinking of doing two per round, but yeah, that'll leave me... Uh, um, Thought with nothing for the last round, but I'll as we go around, I'll think of something to say in the last round. Perfect. All right. So uh, at, at number eight, I have um, Blake Lively. <laughs> there, there actually aren't that many famous Sashes, Blakes, John, and Derricks, uh, which is why Blake Lively is my number eight. Nice. She's fine. 
I, I, I feel no particular affection for her. I have her. no serious problems with her. <laughs> yeah, I have, no, I have no problems with her, and that's why she's my number eight. Done wonders for like the female name Blake. There's not many female Blakes getting out there. So done, done wonders for it. Yeah. Um, my number seven is um, uh, Derek Jacoby, who oh. I first encountered in the um, uh, um, miniseries I, Claudius. And I feel like, John Morrissey, you have read the I, Claudius books. Such a good book, yeah. Yeah, and it's a great yeah. miniseries. Like, like, it's very dated. It's from the 80s, I think. But like, um, uh, dated in terms of um, uh, production values, but the content is awesome. Oh, fantastic. And Derek Jacoby is also the guy in Gladiator who says at the end, who will help me carry him? Mm-hmm. And who says, he'll bring them death. They will love him for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also says, um, I think he knows what Rome is. And so he's my number seven. So he's <laughs> one stuff. of the great British thespians who's still alive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, like That's a big that jump from eight to seven, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Derek, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 Derek Jacoby is, I, I feel more affection for than Blake Lively. But that's not out of any um, um, antipathy for, um, for Blake Lively. Fair She's enough. fine. Like, yeah. Or indeed for Blake Curtis. <laughs> Well, you know, let's, let's, you know. I love that. Top, <laughs> I love that top eight choice. It's good. <laughs> All right, I'll go on to my number four. It's another documentary. So this is a good year for documentary. I thought um, it's called Disclosure, and it's a, a film about the history of trans presentation on film. Um, the director interviews all sorts of trans actors and actresses about their experiences growing up watching trans characters on film, how it's affected their career choices, the opportunities they've had as trans actors. And it's as thorough as Feel Good Man is, this is equally thorough in terms of bringing up these old awful clips from like uh, the, the silent era all the way up to like um, Ace Ventura Pet Detective when Jim Carrey has to go vomit in the toilet when he realizes that Einhorn is a man you know um, and it's just you get the idea of how society has brushed these people under the rug and made fun of them mm-hmm. throughout the history of cinema up until 10 years ago or you know the 90s were particularly bad for that like the joke was you know if you had accidentally slept with someone who had a dick you you know were scarred for life by it like you know um what's the other one the um i know the crying game yeah i was gonna sing the song to get the title and then i realized yeah okay just because on the crying <laughs> game i rewatched stargate uh the other day which every time i watched that i was like this is gonna be great and the first 20 minutes is great and then it sucks the guy from the crying game uh ended up qu- uh, quitting acting uh yeah. after stargate yeah he, he asked for a million dollars thinking he wouldn't get it got it then quit acting oh wow yeah, um, it's so the film is just really moving, and I just was really, you know, that we get so many documentaries nowadays that are just like interchangeable about some quirky little eccentric thing. Like there was a a, a show a couple years ago about uh, a documentary about people who take chickens to perform in in dog shows, but for chickens, you know, it's like. I like a good documentary <laughs> that really like gets to the core of it. I totally agree. There's like yeah. there's this real kind of influx of documentaries about something which is pretty trivial and objectively not that interesting, but somehow it's things like, Oh, if you pay enough attention to something it'll automatically become interesting. It's like, no, it won't <laughs> No, not necessarily. <laughs> I also think that you you may have inadvertently uh caused the, the, the listenership to now be Googling this uh, chicken documentary. <laughs> it's called, oh, it's called Chicken People. <laughs> and it's not about people who look like chickens. That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John Morrissey, what do you got for your number four? Um, so number four is an uh, Australian movie, Relic, which came out this year. Um, so it's actually... Sorry, 
Sorry, I keep on butting no, in. Can I can I actually just say that the uh, the woman who directed Natalie Relic, James. Natalie James, won uh, best film at the Real Good Film Festival about three years ago. And yeah. everyone involved with Real Good will go into such distinction. Well, it was <laughs> it was. <the laughs> and look at us, <laughs> Relic <laughs> shed. <laughs> not only did she win, shed. <laughs> not only did she win best film, but this is a feature length version of that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So which yeah. was called Creswick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and that's another great reason why the film is so good. The setting is in Creswick, and it's just this incredibly haunting bush setting, um, just like these really bleak kind of colours. It's Yeah, but it's a very kind of a similar film to The Dark and the Wicked. It's about, it's incredibly similar, actually. It's about a, um, a mother and a daughter go to stay with um, the, the mother's mother, so the grandmother, um, because she seems to be have, you know, becoming senile or you know, suffering from dementia, and they feel that she can't take care of herself anymore. Um, and there's sort of a disagreement between the mother and the daughter where the mother thinks she should just be put in a home and the daughter's like, I'll come and live with her to take care of her. And it's, a, it's I mean, it's a very powerful film because it really looks at like our priorities as society and like, what do you yeah. owe, what do you owe your parents? What do you owe like the elderly in society? Yeah. And it, um, and it doesn't try and like Hollywood the ending, you know what no, I mean? Like no, it really yeah. examines yeah. The, the conversation in a way that... Yeah, the, yeah, that needs to be spoken about. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like a really yeah. interesting conversation. Yeah, and I, I just it's just like such a versatile movie. I mean, there's so many different kinds of horror in there. Like sometimes it feels like a ghost story, but then it becomes almost like this evil dead thing. And then there's some really frightening kind of, you know, depictions of the house and how the house's kind of space changes. It's it's just, I thought it was really just like, I don't know, real, a really kind of auteur kind of movie. Like, you know, someone who obviously knew exactly what they were doing and like just did it so well. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah, right on. And a great example, I think, of like w- why people need to be given a chance you know like a lot of i feel like a lot of filmmakers out there have really interesting ideas and it it, traditionally if it doesn't fit like the mold they're not given a chance whereas like it was great to see natalie get a chance to to get in there and do something different and really nailed it and that that must have been off the back of the real good film festival (laughs) yeah (laughs) sasha number four sorry go ahead about relic um is emily mortimer who is a british actress yeah does a staggeringly good Australian accent. There you go. It's 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 um. I I, mean, I know that people have tried. I think Meryl Streep tried in the uh, in the the dingo uh, the uh, took the baby film. What was that again? Cry in the dark. That, yeah. that, that was the name of that film. Yeah, Cry in the dark. I never knew that. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't called the dingo ate my baby. Contrary <laughs> to popular belief. Okay, that's what I, I always refer to it that way. But I remember her accent being quite. Um, I guess broad, you know, like she had taken the only thing Meryl Streep has ever done wrong in her whole career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, possibly. All right, um, you're number four. <laughs> uh, look for, for number four. I've gone with um, a film called The Conversation. From oh yeah, <laughs> you like that one, uh, Joseph? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, for for those that don't know, it's it was Coppola's film in between The Godfather and Godfather Part Two, his sort of passion project. Gene palate Hack- cleanser, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> po- yeah, that's right. And and Gene Hackman, um, he's great in it. Gene Hackman, you know, he has described it as his favorite film and his favorite performance that he's done. Mm, it's, in a, it's film. a masterpiece. It's awesome. Um, and it really sort of the way that it's constructed and the way that it all centers around this conversation that you can't hear between two people in a park and what were they talking about? Um, and then the film has a few twists and turns that that sort of. Yeah, it, it kind of ends up consuming itself, the movie. It's, and it's, what an ending. Yeah, mm. what an ending. Yeah, yeah. big time. And, and a very young Harrison Ford shows up um, and he looks great and he's he's stalking uh, Gene Hackman and it's... Yeah. He was in all of Coppola's earlier films, wasn't he? He, was, right, he has yeah. a very small role in uh, Apocalypse Now also. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. 
Yeah, that was awesome. Love it. Yeah, Blake, what about you? Uh, my next one, number four, is Portrait of a Woman on Fire. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. yeah Absolutely a knockout. Oh, Amazing man. film. That, incredible. Like, have you, have you, Sasha and John Morris, have you guys seen that? or? Um, I think I saw it, but I think I was falling asleep at the time, so I don't remember That's too clearly. Sign. But it did seem good, <laughs> what I saw. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible film. Um, like, yeah, just... Like, I, I remember seeing the trailer for it and just thinking, oh, here we go, just the same kind of you know queer film kind of story where it just feels like a lot of that stuff kind of just gets rolled out for awards or oscars or whatever else and but this film was just so beautifully done and like the way it just kind of like you saw the the relationship evolve was just really really powerful like it was just really great to watch Absolutely, yeah. That was my number two movie of last year because I technically got it in just under the wire, but most people did not see it until this year. Yep. John awesome Robert, movie. Awesome I want to hear the next two names on your list. Okay, <laughs> I've got them out of order. I'm, I've written them down on the notes on my phone, but <laughs> no. I sort of choose at random. My number six is... Um, do you know, honestly, Derek Jacobi probably should have been better than this guy. I feel he should have been higher. Yeah, um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, oh, come on. Do, do you know, honestly, on, he's, on, he's on the... Uh, I, this is how much research I did into this. I was Googling famous Blake's, Derek's, Sashes and John's on the way here. Well, how and else there, would you do it? I didn't Google famous John's because I thought there'd be too many, but there aren't that many famous Sasha Blake's and Derek's. Okay. Um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, I, you know, he, again, he's fine. I, I, he's better than fine. I, re- I reckon he deserves more props. Than, especially he's like a modern do, day do, 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 you know, do you know, actually, Blakey, now you've said that, I, 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 I agree and I apologise. Um <laughs> I actually really like him in um uh what's that Scorsese kids movie um Hugo uh, yeah. yeah on your Sasha yeah. um I, I, I'd like to also point out uh, as someone called Sasha um, who grew up in the in the nineties um, must have been difficult it, well to be honest it was I, I was commonly accused of having a, a female name and he really? did a lot of good work in bringing. You know, Sasha as a masculine name, as a and male it, name. Is it the difference of the C? You have to have the C to have it be a, a male not, name, or does not, it go either really. way? There's, there's no. a whole bunch of different ways you can spell okay. it. But, so um, the Blake Lively twist. Yeah, <laughs> twist on the Blake Lively. Like Blake Lively did wonders for the, you know, making Blake a female name. Sasha did wonders for the masculating the. Yeah, I guess that, I guess <laughs> I guess, I guess <laughs> that's right. Yeah, if yeah. you say so, yeah. <laughs> Right, um, um, yeah, my so. number, what, fuck, what am I? Two five. five. My number five is John Doe from Seven. Um, also, I'd like to uh, uh, to make clear here: these Johns are in honor of John Morrissey, not myself. Um, uh, yeah, no, no, uh, th- this has nothing to do with me. Um, John yeah, Doe you from have nothing to do with John Doe. Yeah, whatever. I am normal. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, John Doe from Seven. Get him yeah. in there. He was. Is that, is that really it? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, John Doe from Seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's just funny watching Spacey films now. You can just feel the evil radiating yeah. off the screen. Oh. It's a very unsettling experience. I mean, he's playing a character who would have been creepy even if Spacey himself it, was not a terrifying person. You it know? Re- it really it, bums you out when when somewhat, uh, something comes out. Like It's like um, Polanski, right? That guy's made some amazing films. And even his like lesser-known films, like Ghost Rider or Death and the Maiden or Frantic, like those, he, that guy can make the shit out of an entertaining movie. And it's just at the back of your head, you're just like, well, fuck, you know? And Spacey is like, he's been in some good movies and the movies don't stop being good, but you, you, there's just something at the back of your head, yeah. like a splinter in your mind. <laughs> I, I think as well with Spacey, like some of his movies will, will not be hurt by these revelations about him. For Seven, for example, he's playing an evil guy. Mm. You know, maybe yep. he's playing himself. I, I, I don't know. But then um, 
American Beauty where he's yeah. sort of playing like, you know, I guess someone who is meant to be uh, a normal, a kind of a, a trope of normality, breaking out of the shackles of like, you know, do- domesticity and, you know, boring yep. life and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And you're kind of going, well, this guy's actually a real creep. Yeah. It makes that movie basically yep. impossible to watch. Yep, yep. Cool. Um, all right, I'll move on to my number three. This is a movie I'm sure that none of you have seen because I saw it in Myth. It's called The Killing of Two Lovers. And um, I won't go on for too long about it, but it's about a story set in Utah. I believe it's Utah about um, a man and his wife who are kind of going through a trial separation. And he sees that she's taken up with another lover and it has a very destabilizing effect on him. um, But not necessarily the one you would think from the title. And it's just it has a lot of heart and it really goes to an amazing place. I was really surprised with where it went, just a little indie, the kind of thing that you go to Miff to see. And if I could put that name out there just for you to remember it, Killing of Two Lovers. The director is Robert Mashioan. I can't say that. It's got a bunch of vowels in the middle. Um, anyway, I'll move on to you, John Morrison. What's, what's the deal with that kind of, those kind of films, though? Are they like... I don't know what it's like. Are they going to get? It's going to be in the future. Yeah. But you know, obviously, some many films at MIF end up getting a wide release later on. I yeah. haven't heard about this. Well, one. I was just curious because of COVID, whether like a lot of those MIF films are still going to kind of get those releases, or it's kind of hard, it's hard to. to say. Like, yeah. I mean, this will show up at a streaming service if it doesn't get a wide release. Mm. It's good enough mm. to be seen by a wide audience, I would hope. John Morrissey, number three for you. Um, so number three is a uh, Derek Reco. Um, this is Nocturne, which I believe is an Amazon movie. Oh. Is that right? Yeah, in <laughs> yeah. uh, Jason Blum produced. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But so much better than any other Jason Blum yeah. you've yeah. you've seen. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, he produced Get Out, so you can't really say that. But um, uh, amazing. Really, like I was, I was very surprised by how good it was. I mean, I, I was expecting to enjoy it, but. I don't know, it's just it's a story of two sisters at a sort of prestigious music school um, and one sister gets into Juilliard and the other sister doesn't and the sister who doesn't finds the music book of a, a student who killed themselves earlier in the year um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's really cool it's just like a story about sibling rivalry with this kind of possessed music book at the centre of it and it's just a really great depiction of, you know I think that director yeah. is a name to watch. It's absolutely yeah. Zoo Quirky. Yeah, something. It's Z H U Q I R K E. Yeah, right. I, I can't wait to see. It's a woman. I can't wait to yeah. see what she makes next. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And just like a brilliant depiction of a school as well. Like, I mean, it's you just realize it's because the character is not very sympathetic, but then you realize, well, she's just a teenager, and it's the teachers who are to blame for this, and the teachers are all depicted in very unflattering ways, and it's I don't know, it's really. It's a great film. It's really yeah. ambitious. Really and, ambitious, and it yeah. Sticks to landing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Good job. Uh, Sasha, you're number three. Uh, yeah, so my number three Coppola, I've, I've decided just based on this format that I've, I'm going to roll um, two of the films into one. Okay. I, I don't think any surprises what that will be. <laughs> um, but so, so, so that way I can talk about more interesting, interesting films. Um, so I'm going to say Rumblefish. Oh, yeah. oh they. I, I, I well, think played. it was 84, maybe. It's um, a really good film. Yeah, uh, shot in this super saturated high high contrast black and white. Um, I think possibly referencing you know German expressionist cinema that I haven't seen, um, but incredible um, cinematography. This looks amazing. Matt Dillon, you know the bone structure of that guy shot in, in that <laughs> film is just staggering. Um, Mickey Rourke doing this very understated, uh, sort of gentle, whispering performance, but he's also meant to be this sort of notorious tough guy that's coming back to the the, the, the country town that he, he grew up in, and the cops are after him, and and it's sort of this story of brotherly 
um, uh, love and trust. And it was based off the Essie Hinton um, novel. And Coppola had already made The Outsiders, which I don't think is a very good movie at all, to be honest. I don't know if I ever saw that. On the rewatch. But but Rumblefish is good. And um, a, a special mention goes to Nicolas Cage. It's one of his first um, movies. And he is, uh, as you would expect, insane in it. And mm. just, uh, it. It seems like all the kind of choices that other actors make, he makes the opposite choice. Um, but he's captivating. Uh, you know, he dances around. He, he's... He yells lines that he's meant to to, to whisper and all, all sorts of things. So it's yeah. The scene I remember remember from that is uh, well, there's a one splash of color in the whole film when they look at some goldfish, I think, well, and the goldfish well, are gold. Yeah, well, I, I think they're the, indeed the rumblefish. That oh, yeah, well, that's that the, makes that's sense. Sort of, <laughs> they're not gold, then yeah, they're and, rumble. And then Spielberg Spielberg ripped that off uh, Schindler's List. Yeah, the the one bit of color in a black and white film. Um, so Rumblefish, I've actually never seen it, but um, shout out to a, a real good film, uh, a real good podcast alumni, Zoe Coldham. That's her favorite movie. I did know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think b- b- both of them. Yeah. Um, so are the two that you're rolling together in this pick, or are they later? Uh, they're, they're they're later. Okay, so yeah. we'll move on to Blakey for. I, I just thought say oh, one more thing about. I, I'm I'd just dying with anticipation to find out what those two are. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rumble, Rumblefish would be a great movie if you if you're like having a party and you want to put something on a projector. It, Number three, Blakey. Uh, my number three is a real big surprise to me, and I'm not actually sure how the reaction will go in the room. My number three is The Two Popes. Um, that film really had a really incredible, profound effect on yeah, me. Surprisingly good film. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fernando, Fernando Boreas? Yeah. Like yeah he's, he's a good director. He's a good director. I found it interminably boring. Is that because, like, you're not interested in, like, the. Like fuck Christianity and no, fuck all no, the no, like no, no. Ha- had nothing to do with um like a um um I guess a uh, disposition to um being a, um uh, I I suppose um I don't know, I'm not anti-religious but um uh, disinterested in, in, in organized religion um uh, but I, I just found it really boring yeah see the thing yeah yeah the thing I really enjoyed about it was just that it was just two guys just chatting and like it was uh, like and, and they're both popes. Yeah. Uh, so, do you know the premise of it? Like, not really. No. Sorry. <laughs> so, so the concept is like I don't know what year. Two guys chatting. It was pope. So, yeah. Well, the one that wanted that, that one pope resigned. Remember? Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not the right word. But advocated. and Ratzinger. Uh, so, yeah. well, uh, Benedict, who was originally called Ratzinger, he was a member of the Nazi youth. Yeah. I think it was pretty mandatory for German children. <laughs> 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 nah, nah, there's some shit going on here. <laughs> he didn't cool. need to get all those badges, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Nazi um, merit badges. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a story that I actually didn't know about at the time because I wasn't interested about it, but it, essentially it was like someone who was meant to be the next pope and the concept of being the pope is that you're the pope until you die and um, that he felt that he wasn't the right person for the job and that like he handed it over to someone who he felt believed in like the traditions or where like the Vatican City should be heading towards in the future so like but at the same time I think it's very much like a like paid content from the Vatican City so like I am also reluctant for how much I enjoyed it but I found just two humans kind of talking about their beliefs and how they felt about the world really fascinating. Well, and it's a yeah, unique it's relationship. Two guys and two humans. It's, it's two, two popes, popes, right? <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. 
Mr. Robot, let's move on to your next uh, team. I, I put my phone in my pocket. It's my list is on my phone. Uh, all right. Um, you got to have this stuff ready. Uh, Time lock. is money, man. Okay. <laughs> for, uh, what did I have? Uh, okay. For number... Four. Okay. For number four, I had... Um, uh, and I'd like a show of hands. We don't have to verbalize this because you might be embarrassed. Um, who knows uh, the body of work of Sasha Gray? Oh, yes. Well, I don't know it. I don't. <laughs> That's a solid five out of five. <laughs> I know. I know it merely from the fact that she was in the Soderbergh film. I uh, yeah yeah. I just I knew that she had another career. And Anal Mouth Intruders <laughs> Five. She was amazing in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Sasha Gray, number five. Uh, number it was four. No, four. Sorry. And uh, my number three is Blake Edwards, the director of films such as Sob and a few of the Pink. Oh, maybe all the Pink Panther movies, or at least one and two. Oh. Don't look at me. Uh, and he also made Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, and he was married to Julie Andrews for a long time. But yeah, he, he was huge back in like the 60s with those, uh, in the sort of comedy drama scene. Um, so according to my maths, you don't have Blake Shelton on your list then? Do you know, I go- when I Googled famous Blakes, he was the first one that came up. And I, I, I don't know who that is. I've heard of his name. Country singer. Okay. Anyway. Well, uh, so right. Sasha Gray and Blake Edwards. Terrific. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on to my number two then We're moving along But the time is growing long uh, The King of Staten Island uh, I never expected really? I never expected to like This Judd Apatow film so much Because I saw the poster Of this tattooed guy Who's on Saturday Night Live And I didn't think he was very funny on Saturday Night Live Standing on top of a car With his hands outstretched like he was a Roman gladiator or something, or a Roman emperor, um, like saying, are you not entertained? And I just went into this film with a bias against it, and it was this totally humanistic story of a guy who's a struggling tattoo artist, age 24, growing up in Staten Island, trying to find the, the next direction of his life, and it just went to a bunch of unexpected places like his relationship with his mother's new boyfriend played by Bill Burr. Uh, I didn't mention the name of the actor. And of course the lead actor, I'm forgetting his name right now. Pete. Yes. Pete Davidson. Davidson. That is a first. I would have gotten it. Um, And and the mother is Marissa Tomei. And it's a great cast, including this actress, Belle Powley, who's a British actress and does a perfect Staten Island accent. And I could just never would have guessed that, this film would have had the effect on me it did. Did Judd direct that? Yes. Yeah, and so like back baby or would go that uh, far? Yeah, I mean this might actually be my favorite film of his. Whoa. I know. Just to counter the back baby, I'd say an em- emphatic no, not back baby. <laughs> did you think he was ever like I guess you have to go somewhere to be back. I, I would say I, I, it was better than, than uh, the last couple of films he's made, uh, but I would say it still suffered from just the absolute bloat and, and lack of direction. It's long. It's long and it's meandering, but I found all the meandering to be interesting. But I feel like Judd Apatow gets away with this kind of like, oh, it's it's messy, but that like reflects life. Yeah. But it, ultimately, I think it's just messy. It's messy filmmaking. And and I think like he he... He like um, his safety net uh, creatively is that like you know that's just how how life works and it's sort of this like you know um um uh you know realistic lo- like look at you know um isn't uh, it though like is it, it it is but that doesn't mean it's a good film like you but can this is so much can, more grounded yeah. than something like Trainwreck it, 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 like I I th- it was. I feel like sure a step above like you know his last three three films, but I think still massively suffered from that like lack of direction. And and, and I and I think like 
John, are you just here to shit on all of our choices? You're all wrong. Sasha, Sasha Gray. Um, uh, no, I enjoyed Knocked Up uh, um, and uh, and Forty Year Old Virgin. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a, an amazing filmmaker, um, but I but I th- I think he, he was well, a comedy writer who's trying to direct, and sometimes he does a really good job with it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I think like he he. What he what he's going for, I think, is really worthwhile. And I think, like, if his films, uh, none of his films have worked how I think he, for me at least, how he wants them to work. In in that kind of like that like, like oh, lack of a better word, dramedy. Um, I'm getting the the um, uh, wrap up t- in terms of time and maybe rant from Derek. Uh, I didn't like it. Uh, but we'll move on to number two for Mr. Morrissey. Uh, this is another Derek recommendation. This oh, is wow. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's um, yeah, I, I, I can see it taken up. <laughs> um, so this is uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, second movie, I believe, um, Possessor Uncut. Any relation to David? No, not that I'm aware of, no. No, it's his son, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it was, I thought it was fantastic. It's like a sci-fi film with some strong horror elements. Um it's about sort of a like a an assassin who kind of works by using technology to take possession of people, and those people carry out the murders, which you know they're being paid to do. Um, and she takes possession of this uh, young man who is going to murder this kind of you know um, data mogul, like this British data mogul played by Sean Bean, just playing the most obnoxious, hateful character you can imagine. Like it's such a good performance. <laughs> um, and this the the person she takes possession of is in a relationship with his daughter, but Sean Bean hates him because he's you know not from the same social class. So for much of the film, she's kind of acting through this other person. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just like, it's its a great film, which also has like a lot of humanity to it, which I feel like David Cronenberg's films never really had. It's like, it's a really good possess- like depiction of just how miserable work is and kind and of the sacrifice people make. Yeah. scariest scenes involving a mask I've seen in a film recently. Absolutely. Some really frightening sequences where it's sort of like he's depicting visually what's going on in terms of the struggle for control within this person's brain. It's really well done. Would yeah. you say there was any... Cor- so what was his name again? This- uh, Brandon Cronenberg. Brandon yeah. Would you say there's like a, like a, a, a correlation between like at least stylistically or in any way between yeah. him and his dad's work? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Like yep. there's, a, there's a lot of... There's some really kind of excessive gore in this in the film. And body also, horror. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Of bo- a lot of body horror. But... I, I don't know. I just always felt in a lot of pretty much all the Cronenberg films I've seen that there was kind of all this body horror spectacle, which didn't add up to very much. But in this film, it was really, I don't know, it was, it was part of a, a really cohesive story with like some proper emotional impact. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I have two questions for you, John. Um, and that was a, a, a good summary. Um, the first is, does Sean, I, without giving away spoilers, does Sean Bean succumb to the same fate that he succumbs to in ev- in every film that he's in? The film may surprise you in that respect. Okay, <laughs> okay, so that, that's interesting. Would it be added to the to the montage? I guess is my question there. <laughs> he gets badly uh, hurt. Yeah. <laughs> he gets well, very badly hurt. <laughs> well, that's good enough. And my my second question is, um, <laughs> thank God. Um, my, my second question is, do you think the film would have possibly, you know, done better if it was instead of being called the Possessor, was called the Nutty Possessor? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it could just be about Eddie Murphy putting on various fat suits to do people. Yeah, that would have been good actually. All right, Sasha, what's your next one? Uh, yeah, so this won't come as a big surprise, and I won't wax too lyrical about it. But I'll put Apocalypse Now in at number two. Yeah, um, it's actually not. It's a remarkable film, despite uh, itself in a lot of ways. Like I, I, I don't think it's. Um, 
is his tightest film at all. It sort of has long. It's definitely not a tight film by yeah, anyone's I mean, measures. No, I, no, I know that, but but I, I think it, the mythology of that film is sort of you know almost outweigh mm. the viewing experience of it and and it's also marred by the fact that you, you never know which version you're going to watch like whether you're going to watch the final card or the director's card or or the original release i hate films that have that uncertainty i just want there to be one yeah i blade runner <laughs> similar similar story yep. um but it's a great movie it should be enjoyed i think with um you should watch it and then watch um hearts of darkness the, mm. the doco made by his wife eleanor um Coppola. Yep. Coppola. <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, yeah. um she took his name and uh, <laughs> um, she took his name in the best years of his life. Yeah, yeah. and 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 um, a special mention to Dennis Hopper, who gives a, a particularly unhinged sort of performance at the end. Yeah, well. totally. I, I'm I'm due for a rewatch of that one. Mr. Curtis. Uh, my number two is a film that I got to watch between the lockdowns, which was really quite a nice experience. In the cinema, you yeah, mean? I got yeah. to go to the cinema. I went, to, I went twice or three times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a film called The Assistant. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. Uh, kind of like a, someone who's playing uh, the assistant of kind of like a... Oh, I've blanked on his name. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, like a Harvey Weinstein type character. They never kind of like go into detail of it. Um, but it's a suggestion of like um, how much this the people around that kind of character would know and what the situation is. Um, and having watched a lot of TV... Uh, during lockdown, there's this fantastic scene in it uh, where the main uh, actress in it, you might know her name, Derek. Uh, She's from Ozark. Yeah, escaping me at yeah. the moment. Uh, she, the young, young girl in Ozark? Uh, Julia she, Garner. Yeah, all right, Julia, yeah, all right, apparently. Uh, talks to uh, the, the guy who plays Tom in succession. Um, those two are just. Matthew McFadden? Oh, that's the scene. That's the that centerpiece. That is just yeah. incredible. Just watch it. Like, as soon as she enters the room and you see him, you're just like, this is just going to be an incredible scene where these two actors are just kind of going to go at it. And he, so, context, like, she comes in to report this uh, character and he's, like, the HR manager who's kind of, like, hush-hushing yeah. everything. And it's just, like, it's just so hard to watch, but it's really important viewing, I think. Um, yeah. It's great. Tom in Succession, that's the one who is uh, married to, uh, um, what's her name? Suki Sarah, Sarah Snook. Snook. How they, they cast that guy as Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, who's this like sexy character. And that guy looks like an, an, an icy pole. Like, 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 or, like or you know those ice creams you get that's just, just what vanilla flavor? ice cream with like hard chocolate. It's just like, no one gets them. You're not interested. And he played Mr. Darcy. Yeah. Uh, he's, not, he's not in my top six. Or no, <laughs> he, he doesn't have the right name. Uh, what are your number two and number one, John? That's an excellent question, Derek. My number two and number one are... At number two, it's really just because of the name. Uh, this is a producer, and every time um, uh, he, he like it, it, the opening credits come up and his name comes up, I uh, sort of have a bit of like an ah moment, and I'm often drunk, and I take a photo, and I never send it. And his name is John Morrissey, and he uh, <laughs> and if you haven't been paying attention, listeners, which I'm sure you haven't, uh, John Morrissey <laughs> is the other John here, um, and he uh, produced American History X. The film's also based on his life, so yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, my number one is um. What's going on here? Oh, I am. My no <laughs> you guys aren't even paying attention to this. I'm trying to pay attention, but you guys are all drinking, and I'm running this podcast, so I'm, I'm my throat is dry. So my my number one is I don't even know if this is a person. There is a band called Derek and the Dominoes, who who um. Uh, 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 responsible for the music in the montage scene when they find all the bodies in Goodfellas and 
that is a very, very for- seeing that for the first time is a very, very formative uh, moment in my film appreciation life, and it's a uh, um, uh, an incredible scene, and it kind of goes Anyway, Derek, the band is called Derek and the Dominoes, so I presume there is someone called Derek in it. And uh, that scene is so incredible. Derek from Derek and the Dominoes makes my number one. Terrific. No, no, uh, wait. My number my no, number one for what? I've, I've got to come, come up with something for the next round. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we are on the, n- the number ones, <laughs> and I'm going to do mine. Uh, and I think this is going to be a controversial choice. Because um, I know it's been really divided, dividing viewers, critics not so much, but definitely viewers. I'm thinking of ending things. Charlie oh, jeez, loved it. Yeah, oh, I hated yeah. it. So creepy. Oh man, <laughs> it's, I watched it again last night just to be sure it was my number one. How did you and watch it again? I was I, I was gripped every moment. It's propulsive for a story that involves um, obscure conversations and. All sorts of digressions um, and, you know, possibly dream imagery, possibly memory imagery. Um, who, who knows what is actually happening? There's a good chance that a lot of it's in one of the characters' head. Um, people change identity. Different actors appear sometimes as another character. It's just right down the avenue of every film Kaufman has ever made. I find this to be um, a logical, a kind of a spiritual sequel to a film like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because that's all about losing these memories and that theme is going on in this film. Um, there's a lot of adaptation in it, I think. Um, I think Charlie Kaufman's in his films tries to say everything. He tries to, his films are about everything and somehow it works and this one worked for me just as much as any of the others have. See as someone who I mean Adaptation is my favorite movie that was written by him directed by Spike Jones. I found since he started directing the stuff that he he, he writes um, his films sort of become this thesis yeah. and, and, and they bec- like they, they they become about all of these things, but they're never a film. And I feel like Spike John's offset um, um, uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman's ex- existential depression, uh, depression, depression, and and, and need to uh, to convey these huge ideas by sort of like um, uh, creating an engaging film around them. And every film that Spike, uh, sorry, Charlie Kaufman has written and directed himself, to me. Uh, has 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 missed Spike Jones and 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 similarly with Spike Jones with with a movie like her, um, it it it, it, it missed Charlie Kaufman's depth of thought mm. and, and I watched um I'm thinking of ending things and there was so much to it but it wasn't a film it was a thesis it was it it, uh, it was it was just and and I also think when a film when uh, uh, when a point is always made best when it's made indirectly which is why the original Blade Runner is better than the sequel to Blade Runner because it's it's first and foremost a um a, a sci-fi noir with great ideas and with with Charlie Kaufman he's ramming these ideas down your throat and, and, and like as, as intellectually stimulating as, as it is to me they're just not films yeah. well see I don't disagree with your general premise about Spike Jones reining him in or giving it a more direction but the actual facts of the case uh, d- disagree with that for me because one of my other favorite films of his is Synecdoche, S- Synecdoche New York yeah. which again is about 
trying to say everything that's in his head and make it somehow work as a coherent narrative. And that one does for me, too. And I know a lot of people don't like that. But yeah. look, I'm just in the bag for this guy. Like, mm. I... I know Blake, you were a big fan of Anomalisa. Yeah, and big... I have to watch that again because that's not one of my favorite of his yeah. films. But I know it's a really good film. And when you think about the three films that he's directed, Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa, and I'm thinking of ending things, I mean, that is an incredible succession of thoughts about the world mm. and about his insecurities uh, whatever you think of it it's incredibly but that's all they I are then they're like they're, they're not films it's it, it, like like as, as as powerful as they are in a certain way and i'm certainly not like denying how like um interesting those movies are when i see a movie like adaptation i'm so engaged with what's happening and, and the the thought behind those movies are, 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 are is landing so much more because I feel like they're engaging movies. I well. like adaptation better yeah. than this, but well, it's I I mean I just think this whole body of work, just one interesting effort after another, mm. and and it's you know whether it fully succeeds every time, it's like nothing else you can see in the f in film. Well, that's what like because I'm kind of in the middle of you two because I I would say the other two that he directed I am a huge fan of them. Like you know I've talked about Anomalisa a lot and Serendipity in New York is a huge like I really enjoyed that too, but this one I was just I couldn't it was just it was just like it was just thoughts and they were it was. The thing about a lot of his thoughts is that they're, they're usually they're quite profound. Whereas for this one, a lot of the thoughts were so obvious. Like it, he wasn't really saying anything new to me about that whole world that I that is not explained and it, and it's not done in a. a here's what I'll say as a defense: there are a lot of directors who revisit the same themes. I mean, in fact, some of our favorite directors we consider to be favorites because they revisit the same themes, like Scorsese or someone like that. You know, uh, mafia movies over time. Charlie Kaufman visits the same themes, but they're like kaleidoscopes. Yeah. They have so many things going on. The narratives aren't similar to each other. The structure aren't similar to each other. The tricks that he does to convey his ideas are not really similar to each other. They're just that each one is like this um, dump of his thoughts. And I think that's what you're objecting to, John. But that, for me, is what makes it so exciting and so worthwhile. Mm. All right, let's. We need to keep it going along. So, John Morrissey, you're number one. Um, so I discovered uh, earlier tonight that this isn't actually a 2020 film; it's a 2019 film. But I saw it this year, so I'm just going to keep it up there. It's all good. <laughs> um, so this film was uh, Color Out of Space. So this is a HP Lovecraft adaptation. No, that came out this year. Oh, did it come out this yep. year? Oh, fantastic! I saw it this year. It's on my list. <laughs> uh, great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I liked it because you see a lot of. Like, I mean, Lovecraft is one of those writers who's had this incredible influence on horror, and he's really set the you know, so many horror films are just totally derivative of Lovecraft now, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, he had incredible ideas, but it's rare to... I don't know, actual adaptations of his work are very rare. I'm not sure there's been one recently, and this was an adaptation where you could tell the the director really loved the source material because there's there are several parts in the film where characters are speaking Lovecraft's either prose or his dialogue uh, verbatim, and it's done in this incredible way. There's a scene towards the end where... Um, is it Chong or Cheech? Or the, um, oh, yeah, Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong, yeah. Where he's he kind of there's a scene where it plays some dialogue from the original short story, which is this kind of farmer in the turn of the century dying and describing this alien light, which is kind of changing the landscape. And it's funny because Stephen King, in his book on writing, holds up this bit of dialogue as saying, "This is why Lovecraft can't write dialogue. Like this is a terrible piece of writing." But then in the film, it's delivered in this way where you realize there's just this incredible gravitas and power to it. And it's I don't know, it's a real I thought it was a really cool film, which is 
genuinely very frightening, but also explores like kind of Lovecraft's kind of concerns in a really, you know, powerful way. And can I say something else yeah. about it? Yeah. Two words. Crazy Cage. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Nicholas Cage is the main character and he... It's an absolute tour de force performance. It's exactly what you expect. Yeah, he, uh, he has been brought up a lot tonight. Because there's this really good vein of humor running through the film. Like, it's kind of totally absurd in some ways. But and also he's a couple. Totally horrifying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And just yeah. one last thing I liked about it, it's, you know, I think, like, you know, people, you know, often talk about Lovecraft in the context of his racism, which is, you know, just totally a huge part of his work, which can't be ignored. But the film kind of dealt with that in a way by having this black protagonist playing a typical Lovecraft protagonist. Yeah, the water surveyor. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a scientist. You know, he's the classic Lovecraft protagonist who's sort of detached from events, but he's observing and gets caught up in it. But he's fundamentally just like seeing what's happening. You know, he's kind of cataloging what's happening. And I don't know, casting a black person in that role, it was sort of like, I don't know, it was just the best way you could possibly deal with the fact that Lovecraft is an incredibly racist person, but... You know, that yeah, doesn't totally. necessarily... You can tell these stories without it being racist. It was really, really good, yeah. Mm. yeah. Good choice. All right. Sasha Kenny. Yeah, beauty. Um, well, it should, <laughs> it should come as um, no surprise um, what number one is. It's a film that really changed the um, the landscape of cinema. I'm, of course, talking about the 1996 film Jack uh, <laughs> with Robin Williams. No, I'm not talking about that film. Uh, um, but I did want to get it into this podcast. So Of course, you had to. Yeah. Um, no, I look... As, as I said, I've bundled the Godfather films into into one entry just so I could get more films in there. But I'm going to talk about Godfather Part Two, which I you I didn't think, include three at least, which is good. Yeah, no, I look, yeah, I won't even talk about three. It's just yeah, it's I, in I, cinemas now. Is it? Yeah, there's a re-release. They they re- even renamed it like uh, the the death of, uh, Co- Coda, the death of. Michael have you Quilio. have you seen it? No, yeah. I hate that film. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've seen the original cut. I haven't seen the the and no cut, interest, no. which is huge for you. Yeah, it it was a kind of um, tough gig that the third one because he I, I think he lost his lead actress and then put Sophia Coppola in as um much better in, director than actress. Yeah, but let's talk about the ones that are actually Ooh. good. True. Um, Godfather Part Two is one I talk about. I think it's um, an amazing double film in itself. It, it tells two stories: one of Vito uh, in the you know sort of turn of the century New York, and then of course of Michael, um, his son. 40 years later or, or whenever it is um it's really amazing film i don't think um it's sort of it's it, you know by today's standards i think a lot of people would find it kind of slow and and um it doesn't have the kind of brashness that scorsese had with goodfellas and 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 casino but without godfather part two i don't think those films would exist um it's it's meditative it 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 burns it burns along but it's also quite thrilling there's this character hyman roth who's this sort of jewish um, gangster living in in Florida, who is sort of the architect of all of Michael Corleone's problems, um, and it, and it and it and it, it's also good in in the way that it's sort of while while Michael's I, I do prefer Michael's storyline to to um, Vito's played by Robert De Niro, but I think Michael's is the more powerful one. As his empire is expanding, his family life is is depressing yeah. and, and 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 eventually, you know, is destroyed essentially. There's a scene. Um, Towards the end, where he has a, um, uh, a you know a blue with his wife um, Diane Keaton, mm. um, and pound for pound, I think it's like one of the most powerful fights mm. you can imagine. And and the moment that she tells him that she had actually aborted mm. the child that um, and the look know, on his face, she didn't, she didn't want to bring him into the world that he had created, mm. is is staggeringly powerful. It takes a long time to get there, and mm. I think like you know. You contrast that to Scorsese scenes, where Scorsese often puts a, a domestic, you know, argument into his films as well. 
but they lack you know they're funny but they lack the power of, mm. of a film like Godfather well, Part Sc- Sc- Scorsese is so um, um, he, like his strength is like I was talking about how a film was put together like that guy is film literate in this in how he constructs a film and he let like less content driven I think yeah yeah ab- absolutely and, 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 and just the way the Godfather Part 2 is shot I mean, there's so many great shots in it. You, you can't. You, you mm. sort of get staggered by it. Like, there's a shot where it sort of pans in on the country house that is a recurring sort of um, uh, motif throughout the film, and the leaves um, sort of blow as the blow away as the film pans into this house. And I, I just can't help but think they must have, you know, shot that shot that fifty times to get the right look of those leaves blowing away. There's no special effects. It's just beautiful cinema hmm. and I, I did watch that again during the pandemic so it's recently on my mind yeah it's yeah. classic well obviously. said Sash. yeah yes. really well said and I think yeah, one of yeah. the things Sasha did you plan that out <laughs> well I think one of the things Sasha t- touched on there as well is like this concept of like it being like meditative like and I think that's probably touches on one of the things I'm really interested about what I was talking about earlier about like some of the TV shows like giving having more time and just giving air and and understanding why characters are finding it difficult to make decisions I think in two hours you just got to go bang 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 and like kind of just be like then they did this and then they did this whereas like you just sit in the moment and understand why it was so difficult to make the decisions they had to make Um, you can really like exist in that which is really quite fascinating it is also interesting how many scenes in Godfather part 2 open with a band playing did you mm. notice that when you watched, watched not it? not specifically yeah it starts off at a wedding and there's just so many scenes it opens with a, a, a large musical piece and establishes the scene brilliantly um, but that's probably why it goes for almost four hours <laughs> <laughs> it's long yeah. uh, Bleaky you're number one of the year yeah my number one of the year is also uh, surprisingly like yeah I haven't sat down and done my top ten of all time in a while but I think it's definitely in there uh, I remember seeing Dan watching this with Jozza and it really just blew us both away quicker than the dead <laughs> no uh, The Lighthouse yeah oh. like that was that film was just so incredible absolutely just a masterpiece of like, the film so good like like yeah. it's just first of all like it just oh, like just two characters in isolation and just seeing them like exist in that world and the i feel like both the actors were just not afraid to just really go to really dark unappealing like gross areas and they just weren't afraid to like and you understood what they were saying yeah (laughs) yeah like it was they're in new england they have very heavy 19th century new england accents yeah uh, willem dafoe and robert pattinson and the way it's shot just seems like it's so wanky like in theory it just seems like wank um, like if I had known like that it would <laughs> that it had been done that way, I would not overwank, just wank. Um, but yeah, it was just an incredible film that really just blew me away. And and Jozza, I know that you were quite taken with a particular line in the film relating to. I I, I think we'd all like relating to hear. The farts? No, not the fart one. He, he liked to talk about farts. But you're fond of me, lobster, ain't you? <laughs> Thank you. It's in the can. Yeah, I I saw that when I was jet lagged. Um, but I did think it was quite an experience. Yeah, yeah, incredible. John Roebuck, you uh, had did you well, think just just quickly on the, on the lighthouse. How, how you were saying, um, but did you understand what they were saying? I um um the FBI aren't listening. I I watched a pirated copy because it didn't come out here for a long time, and the copy I had had subtitles. And the first time I saw it, uh, there were subtitles, and I think that really helped with my enjoyment of it. Because the second time I saw it. 
at the cinemas, um, uh, which hopefully FBI is offset by the fact that I pirated the first time. Um, I struggled to understand what they were saying. Uh, and so I'm going to rewatch The Witch with subtitles, I think, because mm-hmm. I did like that movie, but also, again, I just couldn't follow the dialogue. Yep. Yeah. But, but I also yeah. think that's like consciously a, a, a part of the filmmaker's intent in that like it's... Like, you, true, yeah. yeah, you're not meant to, like, fully understand these characters yeah. and therefore, like, that's that's part of it that you can't understand what they're saying. Like, it's like, it's just kind of like this isolation of the world and, and seeing a human who has to be in this really f- weird, fucked situation. Um, yeah, it yeah. blew me away. Like, it was, the, it was The Shining at a lighthouse and it was awesome. I thought it was... And yeah, it was Shining coming out of the lighthouse because yeah. it's a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, well... We've uh, we're close to wrapping up, but John has a final thought, and then we're going to do our worst in all of our categories. Well, you, you guys have spoken incredibly eloquently, and you'd think that you wouldn't be able to, you know, um, uh, to better what you guys have um, contributed, in the, especially the last round. But here I go. But I think I've got it. So, uh, if as I've established, my uh, top the the eight names were on a um, note that's on my phone, and there are two other things written uh, on that note. Um, uh, above it, which I've written down at some other point in my life and I can't remember doing. <laughs> so I thought I'd just make them my top two. Uh, the first is 400 by 549. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. And at number one, and I think I... I'm not sure. I, I don't know why it's written there. And, and my dimensions for a new table you building. Well, I was building that thing with my dad today, so maybe it was that. And at num at a number one, and I feel strongly about this um, is um, yeah. And I think you you'll get it. You know, like when I say it, is the word basket. I think yeah, it's, uh, yeah, is my number one for the year. <laughs> I cannot think of a better end to the list than that. Um, now, because these next things are awful, we can spend a little less time on them. Can I, can, can I just, for, for, the, for the jury, prove that those were the other two things written on my phone? Uh, I don't think anyone doubts that, John. <laughs> I think that's just the dimensions of a basket. I don't think basket. you can make up something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's the dimensions of a basket. Oh, yeah, possibly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're all basket cases. Um, so my worst, worst, worst film of the year was an Adam Sandler film, not as good as Uncut Gems, called Hubie Halloween. And this is the benefit, not slash not benefit, of reviewing pretty much everything that came out on Netflix this year in order to keep the real good going when the cinemas were closed. And I reviewed Hubie Halloween, which is like a mockery of every Adam Sandler awful movie like Jack and Jill and stuff that you've ever seen. Uh, It's not specifically a mockery of Jack and Jill. It's a mockery of a bad Adam Sandler movie. And I don't think it means to be. I think it actually means to be a regular bad Adam Sandler (laughs) movie. But it was so awful that it's like it's like the main character is kind of like Bobby Boucher in The Waterboy. And he's like a Halloween monitor. And it just and it had so many good co-stars like Steve Buscemi and um, blocked out the rest of the names but it was wretched and that's all i'm going to say about it john morrissey did you have a worst horror movie um yeah i mean this is a bit unfair because it's really not that bad a movie but i feel like i got pretty lucky and only watched pretty good horror films this year so you know unfortunately it's falling at the bottom of the list um a film called amulet which came out this year um it's about it's kind of it's kind of interesting in a lot of ways it's about a like a um a young man moves into this house to help a woman do some pairs on the house i actually can't remember the plot too well to be honest um and the film has a twist which is sort of cool but 
I don't know. The film just doesn't really work that well, but it does have a uh, good song at the end um, called Fist Teeth Money by a band called Polysar. Um, <laughs> That's a very good name. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name for a song. It's a, it's a good song. Like, it's not a great song, but it's a pretty good song. Um, and I've listened to it a fair bit this year, so... Um, do you like, know what? I'll pull up yeah. um, the whole my. Yeah. yeah, I'll pull up the Shazam app during movies. And yeah, turn it on I, to I, find songs I, specifically. I Shazam this one because it plays yeah. in, during a dance scene in the film, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool song," but it's sort of in the background. I couldn't hear it too well, and then they played it at the end for the credits, and I was like, "Oh, that is a good song." And, so, if a yeah. film gave you a song that's going to be part of your life forever, then yeah, it can't be all bad. No, exactly. I'm kind of <laughs> well disposed to the film for that reason. Yeah. Sasha, um, yeah. So, I actually um, to get over the line, I, I did rushed through Coppola's last couple of movies and I and I did watch um, Twixt. Uh, on, Twixt is the worst, eh? Yeah, on, on, I, th- I think it was made in 2011, uh, I think. Um, and it is... Um, a little more recent than that, I think. Maybe uh, I'm wrong. Possibly no, you, 2013. You just watched it. You're probably right. Not sure. Yeah, yeah, around that era. Um, it doesn't matter because it sucks. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of very experimental, but it's, a, it, you know, it's obvious that Coppola doesn't quite understand the film that he's making um it's sort of a gothic horror type thing um Val Kilmer's in it um I think I mentioned earlier that I I, I'm kind of into Val Kilmer because he's one of these actors that his head is sort of um (laughs) kind of expanded a lot over the years like he's he's one of these male actors physically yeah physically yeah his his face has swelled I guess you would say, um, and in the same way that you know, John Travolta is another actor who seemed to have a similar trajectory. Steven Seagal was another one we came up with. Uh, what's, no, your th- what's your no theory fielding. behind it? No um, I, well, Grand unifying theory of expanding heads. I, look, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I don't want to um, uh, sort of go down the road, the road of uh, of libel or anything like that. Or, but, but I, I thought it might have something to do with drinking. Um, I, 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 it look, it kind of looks like they've been drinking a lot. And their doomed. head is just sort of swollen. Even the great L. Fanning couldn't save that film, I guess. <laughs> They're corrupt people. They live corrupt lifestyles, and it corrupts them physically. You know, this is the truth. You know. <laughs> All right, Blake, do you have a worst film of the year? I do. Yeah. So my worst one would be um, Jumanji: Next Level. Um, oh, yeah, I like again, that. Also I like that. I saw it with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> Is that because Pato's nephew wanted to sit next to me instead of you? Well, yeah, that, that really hurt. That Wait, really so hurt you're telling me you didn't like the impersonations of the old people by uh, yeah, Kevin not, Hart yeah. and Dwayne Johnson? Yeah, can't say that. that Dwayne was Johnson does a great Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. DeVito. DeVito. Nah, DeVit. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's weird that, like, even those impressions, I was just like, it felt like Kevin Hart and um, Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson were like, oh, yeah, we'll sign it again, but we want more of a range, so we want to do impersonation. It was just, it was a stinky, stinky mess. And I understand it, because the Jumanji before that was kind of good, surprisingly, so it's I like, like you can see the, you know, the cash cow that they were trying to, like, get on that, and it was just, like, they were just rushing it to try and make money, and it was awful, but the kid we watched it with loved it, so, you know, maybe I was just the wrong target demographic. I like stinky, stinky mess. You should be writing for real good. All right, so we can I wrap this up a at, a, at a sleek 90 minutes. Well, I'm going to ask if John has a worst something, this, a this, worst number in his phone, or this a, is worst, actually, a worst... Basket. You type. may not actually believe me, but I have the, the worst film experience of the year, which involves all of you. Uh, uh, one, somewhat is it right now? Is it this very moment? And, and this is it. <laughs> no. So get this. It really does involve all of you. Tenet, right? I saw it with De- Derek. Oh, wow. I, I don't know. No, 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 not the worst film I saw. The worst film experience. I saw Tenet with, with Derek. John Morrissey. I hadn't seen him all year because of COVID. And he was the last person I hung out with before I saw Tenet. 
Blakey was the first person I messaged or talked to after I saw Tenet. And as I was going into Tenet, Sasha messaged me and said, PlayStation 5's, the second wave of pre-orders are about to be released on JB Hi-Fi and uh, the Harvey Norman website. And it's the worst film experience because of Sasha's message. I then spent the entire film refreshing the JB Hi-Fi uh, website, trying to pre-order a PlayStation Hi-5. PlayStation High Five, uh, PlayStation Five, and it's an incredibly complicated movie at the best of times. And I was just sitting there refreshing J- the JB website, trying to buy a PlayStation Five, and ruined the movie for me. It wasn't that great anyway, and also didn't get a PlayStation Five. Well, I was I was speaking to Marie uh, contemporaneously while this was well, going uh, on. For, for our listeners, Marie is um, uh, um, Sasha's uh, wonderful wife. Indeed, and I um. I was saying there is no way that John can be watching this movie with the amount of effort he is putting into getting this PlayStation 5. So, so I knew he was reviewing it for the site, uh, and uh, he went around the corner. I thought he had left the cinema entirely to go outside, and I'm sitting there as I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the film, trying also to remember the things that I need to tell John that happened while he was gone so that he has some chance to write the review. <laughs> I, I, I think there is something incredible about the fact that like you are all semi-linked to that experience. <laughs> that is incredible indeed. Um, that, seems like good, that seems like a good place to wrap up. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts? Um, I've... I'll say that I've really enjoyed this experience having you guys all over in my slightly slash overly cluttered garage. Um, And this is a tradition I dearly love, getting together with you guys uh, for the real good Christmas party slash podcast. We'll see if we can actually do more podcasts in 2021, but uh, this has been fun. I have only one, uh, two final thoughts. The first is that um, it's been awesome having Sasha and and John Morrissey. I'm saying John Morrissey because sometimes um, people say like Jaws or Blake like you know like and they don't know who we're talking about so we're trying to clarify uh and my my f- uh, last point is Derek weirdly you have said so uh, words the wrong way you just said garage and it's happened like five times what garage yeah, yeah when you try to say garage it's this ne- uh, it, you don't normally do this i have noticed you say words incorrectly about seven or eight times you tonight. Hey, it's been a long year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to have, have a crack at you. I'm just, um, um, so saw, saw yourself out, mate. It's a previous host, you know, commenting on a new host kind of way of doing it. That's all right. I can take it. I like the constructive criticism. Criticism. Sasha. I'd just like to say that hopefully 2021 is a good year for film and there's some good titles coming out. A friend sent me a tweet from Chris Evans. Um, who was talking about the new Buzz Lightyear film. Um, And the tweet was, I'll read it. And just to be clear, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. (laughs) This is the origin story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. And I I think we can all feel in pretty safe hands with that that film. Uh, That's something I'll be lining up to see. Derek, when I got here, one of your kids was playing with like a Buzz Lightyear car. And I nearly tried to explain this film to him, but I was just like... There's no point. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna look like a weirdo. You don't know who I am. John, any Morrissey, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, was, thanks for having me. That was. This has been really fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I guess I should say, like, you know, in terms of like the kind of visual content I consumed this year, it was mostly just like kind of footage of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> you know, that gave me a lot of you know humor as well. So you know. <laughs> yeah. So however bad this t- year was, it ended with Trump getting voted out of office, and so it's got to count for something. Mm. <laughs> This has been the Real Good Podcast. For for more film 
stuff, mostly reviews at the moment. We'll see how it goes in the future. Um, come to www.realgood.com.au. That's that real with two E's. That's real with two E's. And uh, the Real Good Film Festival is going to be on again in March. And Blakey is uh, taking an instrumental role in that. Mm. And uh, you should come to that as well. And um, that's it. Thanks very much, guys. Mm.